The Devil Within, the hit true crime podcast, is back with a terrifying journey into the mind of a madman. In the 1970s, New York City had it all. Hip-hop, punk rock, and the son of Sam. The Devil Within, a season in hell, is available now wherever you get your podcasts. Allergy season is just around the corner, and Brio, the innovative air purifier, can help. Brio quickly removes common allergens, including pollen and pet dander, and deep cleans without filter clogging, so it's more effective than HEPA. Brio's long-life filters save you money, too. Breathe easy this spring with Brio, the advanced air purifier that's ideal for every room in your home. And get 15% off Brio using code IHEART at BrioAirPurifier.com. That's code IHEART at B-R-I-O AirPurifier.com. This podcast may discuss topics graphic in nature and possibly triggering to survivors. We value the safety and well-being of all of our listeners. So please practice personal discretion. Now, enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of the Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. You still think it's in my head. I'm walking with the dead. Amber Belkin's close friend and high school drill teammate, Aaron Clay, requested today's case. Back in 2007, 25-year-old Amber Belkin managed an EB Games store at the 7300 block of San Pedro Street in San Antonio, Texas. And it's here that her co-workers stumbled upon a horrifying scene in the back storeroom. Amber's lifeless body lay on the floor with a bag over her head. She had been viciously and cruelly murdered. Questions and theories swirled as investigators scoured the scene, and Amber's case gained media attention. Everyone wanted to know, who did this and why? This is the story of Amber Belkin. Amber was born on December 6, 1981. In fact, when this episode comes out, we'll just be a few days away from what would have been Amber's 40th birthday. What perfect timing to honor Amber and to tell her story. She was born in San Antonio, Texas to Randy L. Belkin and Leela D. Belkin. She was their only child and the apple of their eye. In an interview with Paula Zahn, Amber's mom says, quote, I can truly say ever since the day she was born, she was just the perfect child. Unquote. I actually found handfuls of photos of Amber and her parents in all stages of her life. They're happy, they're smiling, and they really seem to enjoy each other's company. And if it's true what they say about pictures being worth a thousand words, then they really were a happy little family who obviously adored one another. Amber was a 2000 graduate of Judson High School, where she participated in the drill team with Aaron, who is the one who emailed us about this case. Aaron wrote about Amber, quote, she was popular but never caught up in the drama. She genuinely had a kind soul. She was a little reserved at first, but once comfortable, had one of the best and funniest personalities. She had a bright future ahead of her, unquote. Her father, Randy, agreed. 
He's quoted as saying that Amber was, quote, starting to sprout her wings and go, unquote. She loved animals and had often rescued new pets, including a chihuahua and a shih tzu that she had adopted for her parents and a collection of turtles and frogs housed in aquariums in her parents' living room. That's how you know her parents love her that much. I love animals, but I don't know if I could do frogs. I am smiling right now at just the genuine heart that that shows. And it also reminds me so much of my sister, who's just a few years younger and has also adopted a turtle and three chihuahuas in her lifetime. So I'm just like grinning, thinking about what an amazing, sweet person Amber was. It's this passion for animals that led her to the decision to return to school and pursue a career in veterinary medicine. In fact, she was registered and supposed to begin classes not long after her untimely murder. This brings us to Sunday, January 28th, 2007. Amber spent that day with her parents and their menagerie of pets. She and her father, Randy, sat on the living room floor beside the fireplace and played video games. Even at 25, Amber would always be daddy's little girl. And at a petite 5'2", 100 pounds, it probably wasn't hard for him to picture days past. However, little did the Belkins know it'd be the last time they ever saw their daughter alive. Within 24 hours of that visit, their lives would be turned upside down forever. It's now Monday, January 29th, 2007. Just after 2 p.m., another EB Games employee from a neighboring branch arrives at Amber's store on the 7300 block of San Pedro. He's here to check on Amber because he and the rest of his coworkers at his store haven't been able to get in touch with her for the last few hours. They've called the store, they called her cell phone, but they have never received an answer. When Mariana arrives, he finds both doors leading into the store locked. And that was very unusual because operation hours start at 10 a.m. and it is now 2 p.m. And that's when Mariano is met with a surprise. Inside the store, he sees assistant manager Brandon standing there. Brandon lets Mariano inside and Mariano begins asking questions. Have you seen Amber? To which Brandon responds, no, I haven't. He explains that he had only arrived a few minutes prior to Mariano's arrival. But this doesn't sit right with Mariano. The store is in disarray. Crime scene photos that I've seen show stacks of games scattered on the floor and other obvious signs of a robbery having had taken place. There's loose change and rolls of coins are in a box on the counter. This is not what a normal EB game store looks like during working hours. When you see some of the crime scene photos, it's no question that this store had something out of the normal happen and it looks ransacked. It looks like a robbery took place. There isn't much to question there. With that in mind, Mariano rushes to the safe in the back storeroom. And it's here that he makes a grisly discovery. Upon entering the back storeroom, Mariano finds Amber lying face down on the floor with a plastic bag over her head. Whoever had held it over her head twisted the bag at the back of her neck to tighten it. Her shoes rested on a shelf 
in the back room. Her left hand lay on her lower back and her right hand was at her side. The Bexar County Medical Examiner's Office later ruled the cause of death to be asphyxia or suffocation from the bag around her head. It was then clear to Mariano that Amber was deceased and he immediately placed a call to the police. He was shocked and bewildered. Really, he was unsure of what to do. Officers soon arrive at the scene and they question Mariano and Brandon, but their primary focus is on the latter. Why was Brandon inside with the door locked during business hours? Why didn't he contact anyone about the obvious robbery that had taken place? And most pressing, why didn't he look for Amber when he got to work? Her white Acura was in the parking lot in the front of the store. It was unlocked, her cell phone rested on the driver's seat, and a Lowe's tote bag was on the passenger seat. On top of that, I've seen crime scene video of this EB Games in question. It's not like this tiny game shop had many hiding places. Detective Raymond Roberts of the San Antonio Police Department examines the crime scene. In conversation with Palazan, Detective Roberts breaks down in tears and is so overcome with emotion that he can't speak for a moment when describing the scene. Those of us in the true crime community know what a rare sight in a traditional true crime docu-series episode that is. This case deeply affected him. And I'm not saying that the detectives are insensitive or don't care about other cases that other episodes tell the story of, but it's just so apparent in this episode. And it's something that is a really telling moment of who this detective was and how he feels about this case to this day. He goes on to acknowledge that Amber's slight build and blonde hair reminded him of his own daughter. He knew he couldn't let his emotions get in the way of investigating the scene, though. Detective Roberts noted that Amber had been bound with duct tape at one point leading up to her death. There was a laceration on one of her wrists that suggested that the offender had removed the bindings with a knife prior to leaving the scene. Investigators believed that the offender removed the tape in an effort to minimize evidence left behind. Think about it. It's almost impossible to use tape and not get your fingerprints on it. So what do you do? You take it with you. And that's what this offender did. According to her colleagues, Amber followed a strict morning routine. Allergy season is just around the corner and Brio, the innovative air purifier, can help. Brio quickly removes common allergens, including pollen and pet dander, and deep cleans without filter clogging, so it's more effective than HEPA. Brio's long life filters save you money too. Breathe easy this spring with Brio, the advanced air purifier that's ideal for every room in your home. And get 15% off Brio using code IHEART at BrioAirPurifier.com. That's code IHEART at B-R-I-O AirPurifier.com. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. When opening the store for business, 
she arrived right at 9 a.m. She did the receipts from the day before. She would go to the bank, deposit the money, and then return to the store and open it for business at 10 a.m. This day started out no different. Amber arrived at the store at 9, an hour before the store opens. At 9.08, she texted one last text message to her boyfriend, Fred Campbell, who is listed in her obituary as the love of her life. She texted a simple, I love you. Police were later able to determine that she turned off the store alarm around 9.12 a.m. And after that, the last person to have spoken to Amber that day was another manager of a neighboring EB Games store. It's not clear what they had been discussing, and it's not clear if this person was Mariano. However, this person does acknowledge that the call ended abruptly. He went on to say that at the time, he believed Amber had heard someone at the door and ended the call to answer. Simply saying, I've got to go, despite the store not being open for business yet. When police questioned this other manager, he said that Amber didn't seem concerned and that's why he didn't do anything about it. Investigators were later able to determine that Amber was killed between 9 and 10 a.m. based on the phone call and the fact that she had never arrived at the bank to do her $1,900 worth of deposits. However, the safe was open and empty. Remember, I said that there were a couple coins scattered about and a few rolls of change, but that's it. Where was the rest of the money? That same day, store management also alerted the police that they had conducted an inventory and they discovered that 40 to 50 games were missing in addition to an Xbox and two, possibly three PlayStation consoles. Investigators theorized that the offender used the alley behind the store to escape undetected. The front door of the store was locked, like I mentioned earlier, and the police report said that a security bar over the store's back door was lifted, despite it being locked. Now this alleyway. There's no reason for people to go back there. It's not visible from the street. In fact, there are photos of the back of the store and this alleyway that show that it's industrial. All the doors look the same. There aren't signs indicating which business is which. And if you didn't have any foreknowledge of the building, you could walk into the Starbucks or the inkcell.com store that this particular EB Games was sandwiched between. If you've ever worked at like a strip mall or your traditional shopping mall, basically this alleyway is the back doors where really only employees would be using to maybe take out trash and or leave at the end of a shift. Because this murder happened in 2007, one would assume there'd be store surveillance cameras. However, this particular location, their cameras were non-existent. There weren't any inside or outside. Officers canvassed the nearby shops for witnesses. However, despite it being a bustling shopping center, not one person saw anything. At this point, investigators are going off of the theory that it was a robbery gone wrong. Television news stations filled the parking lot and provided live coverage of the scene as it unfolded. And this is how Randy Belkin, Amber's dad, heard about the news. He recognized the store's address and jumped in his blue two-door pickup and raced to the scene. He flew out of his car and said right away, my daughter's the manager here. I need to find out what's going on. 
Detective Roberts met Randy outside the store and asked him his daughter's name. To which Randy responded, Amber. It's right there in the EB Games parking lot that Detective Roberts made the death notification. Just seconds later, Randy's wife, Amber's mom, arrives at the scene without any idea of what had happened. Randy recalls the moment his wife arrived and in the interview with Paula Zahn, as he's remembering these moments vividly, he can't make eye contact with the camera. It's evident the catastrophic events of that day are just as fresh as ever. His voice catches and he sucks in air like he can't catch a breath. And according to Randy, the Belkins locked eyes as she ran up to him. Randy couldn't say the word murder, though. When Amber's mom demanded, where's Amber, where's Amber? All Randy could say was, she's gone, she's passed away. According to Amber's mom, her knees buckled, and the rest of the day was a nightmare and a blur for Amber's parents. Before we continue on with the timeline of Amber's case, there's an important thing I want to mention. Amber's parents and Amber herself often worried about her safety while managing the store. She had worked there for three years and she was often scared to work alone because there had been robberies at other stores. And in fact, at another location, while Amber was working, it was robbed on Christmas Eve. And despite Amber's fears of what could happen, she wasn't willing to give up her job. As her dad says, quote, Amber wasn't a quitter, unquote. She was also preparing to return to school. Like I mentioned, she wanted to be a vet. And in order to fund her education, she had to keep working. At the time all of this was going on, EB Games had no comment about security measures at the store. And we have to remember that this is 2007 weren't as many video cameras, surveillance cameras, as there are now. But it doesn't mean that it was an unusual thing to have them. It's definitely not something that wasn't available. But also we have to understand that who knows what restrictions there were to what they were able to put in that alleyway from the shopping center or anything like that. We we just don't have any source material on that information as to why there was not a camera there. We don't know if that was negligence. We don't know if it was in the works and we don't know if it was disallowed. We just don't have the info. Back to the investigation. Detectives took pictures. They dusted for prints. During the autopsy, a rape kit was performed and fingernail clippings were collected. Yet not a single clue led the investigation forward. There was no physical evidence. Investigators believed that the crime took no more than 15 minutes. They believed that Amber had been quickly overpowered. Remember, she's 5'2", 100 pounds, soaking wet. This brought up other questions for investigators, though. If this were meant to be solely a robbery, why did the offender kill her? This led police to reason that the offender didn't want to be identified and that it was likely to have been an inside job someone familiar with Amber's work routine, who knew the store didn't have any type of surveillance, who knew which door to enter through the alleyway. Amber's coworkers were now being scrutinized by the police. And as I mentioned before, one person in particular 
was of interest to detectives. Brandon, the same man who was inside the store before her body was discovered. Right away, Amber's family and friends were also suspicious of Brandon. Those same questions that investigators had, they wondered too. Why did he unlock and lock the door behind him when he entered? The store should have been open for hours at this point. And despite the obvious evidence of robbery and a struggle having taken place, Brandon never looked for Amber. So he was brought in for questioning and looked at as the prime suspect. His story just didn't add up. On top of that, Amber and Brandon had had a contentious working relationship. Remember, Amber was the manager and Brandon was the assistant manager. We're not going to get into speculation about why she had written him up, but she had several times, in fact, for different things. And she was actually going to submit another write-up this day. All of this didn't help Brandon's case. However, he had an alibi, his girlfriend. For a month, police scrutinized every little thing Brandon did until they were able to verify his alibi with his girlfriend and his girlfriend's parents. But the police weren't going to just take his word or their word for it either. They cross-referenced cell towers to make sure his phone hadn't been in the area, and it hadn't. With the alibi checking out, now we can all understand why we don't have a lot of source material or information on what those previous write-ups were for. Brandon's alibi checked out, and that's what it was. We had to let him be at that point. We would be remiss if we ignored the fact that all signs pointed towards him, though, in the beginning. He had been written up three times, going on a possible fourth, which could have been a potential motive. And we have him at the scene unlocking, entering, exiting, and locking the store again. It didn't look good, but again, with that alibi checking out, that's where we were with Brandon and that's where it's left. What Brandon went through during this time in Amber's investigation has to be acknowledged. Detective Roberts admits that he focused all of his attention and energy on Brandon being the suspect, the offender in Amber's case. And for a month, that's how Brandon lived his life, as a suspect. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. Except he was nothing if not cooperative. He gave authorities the right to search his property, and they came up with nothing time and time again. It's no secret that this attention from investigators and the media affected his life for that month and a half and probably still affects it today. After Brandon was cleared, they had no more leads. Things quieted down in Amber's case. That's when police investigators got a call from a man named Joe. He told police that the suspect they were looking for had approached him on the morning before the crime, suggesting they rob the store. Right away, police were suspicious with 
this person's take on what had happened. They ask him to come in and Joe willingly does. During Joe's interrogation with police, he gave them a name, Giovanni Rivera. Giovanni had been a former EB Games employee with Joe. And that is how Giovanni knew that this particular store location didn't have surveillance cameras. He knew the routine of the manager and he knew about the back alley entrance. When authorities asked Joe about his own involvement in the robbery and murder, Joe acknowledged that he did know about it, but he assumed his friend Giovanni wouldn't go through with it. And it wasn't until the news of Amber's murder became public that Joe realized Giovanni had gone through with his dark plan. When authorities questioned why Joe hadn't come forward sooner, he acknowledged that he was scared. He was scared that Giovanni would do something to him. Joe was eventually cleared by investigators, but now they had a new person in their sights, Giovanni Rivera. They brought him in for questioning, but without any physical evidence, they couldn't hold him. He was later let go and returned to his family home. And that day, investigators got a call that Giovanni was on the run. He was heading to another city in Texas with his entire family in tow. Investigators' hands were tied. They didn't have any physical evidence tying Giovanni to the crime. As a result, they kept a close eye on him, but that's all they could do until a few months passed. That's when a woman, Giovanni's wife, contacted this police department. According to Giovanni's wife, he had threatened her life and the lives of their children. He had also admitted to killing Amber Belkin. This is what police needed to go after Giovanni. Unfortunately, at this time, he had fled to Mexico to avoid prosecution. He was then put on the U.S. Marshal's 15 most wanted fugitive list. And a year later, he was apprehended by Mexican authorities and was handed over to U.S. Marshals in Texas. He had been arrested the night prior in Nuevo Laredo, Mexico, at a cousin's house. He was then held in a federal holding facility in Laredo. He was then transferred to Bexar County to face charges of capital murder, along with two unrelated counts of sexual assault stemming from unrelated incidents. But the fight for justice wasn't over. Far from it. Because Giovanni was captured in Mexico, prosecutors had to agree not to seek the death penalty against him if they wanted him extradited back to Texas. This on top of the risk of a jury trial and the fact that appeals could go on for years and years and years. Prosecutors eventually agreed to a plea deal that would be best for the Belkin family. In exchange for his guilty plea, prosecutors also agreed to charge Giovanni with murder instead of capital murder, meaning he could be eligible for parole in 30 years. That means he would be eligible in August 10th, 2038. However, Amber's family and friends vowed to campaign against his release if that day ever comes. During Giovanni's sentencing, Amber's family read statements. Amber's parents asked Giovanni why. Why would he strangle their daughter, a young woman with her whole life in front of her for some video games and a little bit of money? They showed Giovanni a picture of their daughter and are quoted as saying, Amber was our soul. You didn't kill one person, you killed three. 
I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that for me, that is one of the most powerful parental statements we have come across as of yet on this podcast. They're telling their daughter's murderer that he didn't just kill their daughter, but he killed them too. Not just a piece of them, he killed them too. Despite being asked directly several times, Giovanni never gave an answer. Instead, he sat there silent and only nodded, staring forward with his hands cupped in front of him. According to Giovanni's defense attorney, Terry McDonald, Giovanni didn't go to the store that day with the intent to kill someone. Terry McDonald goes on to say, quote, he needed money. He was broke. He lost his job. He went on to explain that Giovanni used the money for rent and groceries for his family and explained that when Amber recognized him during the robbery, he realized he was in a box and had no choice. We're going to follow that up here on the Murder Diaries podcast by saying we absolutely know that he did have a choice not to murder. He literally could have just not killed her. Like, the end, period. That's a strong enough statement to end this episode on. May Amber's memory always be a blessing. And that's where we'll leave it for this week, everybody. Until next week, you know where to find us at the Murder Diaries Pod on TikTok and Instagram, at the Murder Diaries Podcast.com, and the Murder Diaries Pod at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps us keep the good content flowing. Your five stars mean everything. And until then, Stay safe. Bye. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful soothing jets and all your stress seems to melt away. Like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.